People have gathered around ideas since the beginning of time. Each successful collaboration pushing innovation forward, building a stronger future. Motorists Insurance Group and Brick Street Insurance have combined decades of experience to create an even better one-stop shop for agents and policyholders. Encircling businesses and individuals with coverage at every step in life's journey. We are now in Cova Insurance. Welcome, everyone, to episode 274 of the NBA podcast. I'm Brian Taporic, and we were not going to record until Sunday, but Wednesday was the first hashtag this league day of the year. So we need to hit today on the Carl Anthony Towns Joel Embiid fight. We're going to talk about Stephen Curry's broken hand and what it means about the Warriors. And we're going to talk about a rookie who's making waves for his on-the-court accomplishments, but we need to consider some off-the-court transgressions as well. Before we get into all that, a reminder that you can follow us on Twitter at the NBA Pod. In our bio, you can find our Twitter handles, so give us a follow as well. You can also find us on iTunes and wherever else podcasts are found. On iTunes, please subscribe, download, leave some five-star reviews. And we're now being hosted on Spreaker, so check them out on Twitter at Spreaker. Joining me today, as always, is my very stable genius of a co-host, Morton Jensen. How's it going, Mort? It's going well, Brian. So before we dig into hashtag this league, can we just talk about hashtag Kawhi? <laughs> How good he is? Dude. He's averaging a point per minute. Yeah. Literally. He's playing 29 minutes a game, averaging 29 points. He's making 11, 11 field goals a game. Making, not attempting, making in 29 minutes of ball game. I would just like to thank whoever made ESPN's fantasy basketball ranks this year for putting him in the 30s. So when I had the back-to-back picks at the end of the first round, I could get both him and Embiid. Kudos. Yeah, that's looking good. That's looking yeah. good. But well, I, I, not right now, but in, in two games it will. Yeah. Uh, oh, we'll get into that. But I just <laughs> I, just, I just need to to round out this out because I have, I have a stat for you that's just mind-blowing. Okay, so Kawhi's career high in assist percentage coming into the season was 18.9, and that was in 2016-2017. That's, mm-hmm. like, reasonable for a non-playmaking three-man. Like, 19 point, 19% assist rate. That's fine. This year, 41.7. Yeah. I mean, he's averaging 6.2 assists per game in 29.8 minutes. When you adjust that to per 36, it is more than double than he did last year. Like, last year, he per 36, he had 3.5 assists. 7.5 now. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, all of the concerns we had coming into the year about the Clippers' playmaking, at least, is being mitigated. Yeah, well, I mean, a lot of people had. that was It was like there were two potential weaknesses for an otherwise seemingly dominant team, and it was playmaking and front court everything. And yeah, the I front just, court questions are still valid, I think. Um, I, I guess, but you just I had that feeling you can't. I mean, you just can't put that question mark alongside Kawhi because Kawhi is going to be like, oh, oh, you doubt me? Right, right. Well, <laughs> Kawhi... Was not really a playmaker up until this year. Like, that was, you know, we saw that strategy in the playoffs last year was force him to be a playmaker, and he could do basic, rudimentary things, but he wasn't, you know, he wasn't LeBron James. He wasn't even like a Giannis. 
But now... Well, he just had to fiddle with the settings, man. Yeah, I know. Someone installed the passing yes. uplink this offseason, and now we're all screwed. Yeah. <laughs> I, I I, mean, and plus, I mean, they gave him a software update as to boot because every stat is just magnified. Right. And he has charisma now. He's in Terminator commercials. I want. I wonder if this is self-evolved. Oh God! Then this is this is like the self-actualizing AI. Yeah. Yeah. This is. I just watched iRobot yesterday, so this you, is. Wait, you did? Room. Oh, yeah. I did. I did too. <laughs> <laughs> For anytime real, it's on you're, you're not joking. No, no. Anytime it's on TV, I'll never get sick of that, that movie. That is so fun. I want. <laughs> no, what are the odds, man? In honor of Kawhi, we both watched iRobot yesterday. Come on, that's amazing, though. That, that is that's, pretty good. All right. I mean, look, again, you and I attended the same NBA game once without knowing it, so... That is true. Yeah. That is very true. Uh, Mort, we got to get into... There are two big stories from Wednesday, so we'll start with the one that happened earlier, and it was... Midway through the third quarter of a Sixers-Wolves game that was otherwise pretty much just a blowout. Sixers opened a huge 20-point lead. Embiid was imposing his will upon Carl Anthony Towns and the Timberwolves. It was getting a little chippy at times. Uh, they, They even reviewed a foul at one point to see if it was a flagrant against Joel because it wouldn't be a Sixers game without a BS flagrant call. There was no such call, but uh, at one point, Embiid comes, runs over to double-team Towns, forces a turnover. The Sixers run out in transition, score an easy basket, and then all of a sudden you hear the announcers like, "Uh uh-oh. You're like, what? Tobias Harris just scored a transition bucket. That's fine. Then the cameras cut, and you see Joel Embiid and Carl Anthony Towns wrestling. So teammates and coaches rush in, break it up. It ends with you know, Jeff Teague pulls Embiid out of the way. Ben Simmons, who is friendly with Carl Anthony Towns, they're gamer buddies. Uh, it ends with him on Towns on the ground, putting him in a chokehold. Long story short, Towns and Embiid both suspended for two games. Um, in the statement announcing the suspension, <laughs> Kiki Vandeweghe, who is the executive vice president of basketball operations for the league, cited continued escalation following the incident, which I think applies more to one than the other. Because right after the fight, Embiid starts, like, shadow boxing. He's egging the crowd on. Uh, and then, you know, he, he went into the season, he told Zach Lowe and Rachel Nichols, I'm done trash-talking this year. I'm not going to do it. Right. He, he goes on Instagram and Twitter, just in case Towns wasn't following him on one of the platforms. He had to post it on both. And he writes, great team win. I was raised around lions and a cat pulled on me to my LMAO. Got his mama given middle fingers left and right, which is true. Carl Anthony Todd's mom was flipping him off as he went into the tunnel. That's some serious real estate. Hashtag fight night. Hashtag I ain't no bitch, which is a shout out to Mike Scott's catchphrase from the playoffs. And now he's saying it all the time, which is amazing. Carl Anthony Towns retaliates. With the little Spongebob meme with the letters going up and down. I ain't no bitch. Raised around lions. A bunch of caps. A bunch of clowns. Hashtag bitch talk. And it, it's a bunch of the pictures of the fight. And then of Embiid crying uh, after they lose in the playoffs last year. Right. Right. 
and Bede comes back. Oh, yeah, now it gets vicious. Right, because at this point, like, you know, it's... The gloves are off. Yeah, it, it was, like, playful-ish, but not not over the line. And Bede goes over the line. And he comments on Towns' post and says, Imagine talking after a 20-point loss. You hate to see it, LMAO. Go ahead, using that pick of me caring about losing in the second round of the playoffs. Oh, wait, you've never been there. You don't know what it's like. No cap boy. Finally won three games, and he's talking, and I know you ain't talking. You've been a pussy your whole life. That's why you were treated like a bitch by you-know-who. I ain't gonna put your business out, but I got the facts about you. Don't get it twisted. I own you. Oh, boy. Yeah. Yeah. And then on Twitter, he basically posted the same thing. That tough guy act ain't cutting it. You know what you are. You know what you've always been. A pussy. Say it louder for people in the back. Been kicking your ass and pretty please make the playoffs before you talk. It's a known thing that I own you. So, right. so I'm going to go ahead and say that earned Embiid an extra game in the suspension. There's, you know, the continued escalation part of that statement seemed to very much be applying to Embiid more than Towns because Embiid after the game and Brett Brown too we're both saying like look I didn't throw a punch I don't think I deserve to get suspended like Towns clearly threw a punch at him yep. and then put him in a headlock and Embiid was like grappling with him but from what any angle I saw he did not actually throw a punch but then the uh, the trolling afterward I, I have no problem with him getting two games he very much deserved it Right, so basically, Towns got two games for throwing a punch. Joel Joel got one game for the actual fight and one game for the social media uh, revenge. That would be my guess, yeah. yes. I, I think that sounds correct and also very reasonable. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> so I'm, I'm old. You'll have to understand, I'm, I'm very old. I'm, I'm not well-adversed in, you know, new age trash talk. The right. cap emoji? Yeah. <laughs> Explain, please. According to Urban Dictionary, which is what I consulted, because I also did that. I was like, what does no hat mean? Or like, why did Towns post? He posted like six hats and six clouds. I was like, what? I don't understand this. Apparently, it means to lie. So I'm not, I still don't really yeah. know. Or I guess he's saying, Towns is saying like, you're lying because you say you're raised around lions, which has been a bit of Embiid's dating back to college, which is just, like, funny. He, you know, he just, he's like, I'm from Africa. I was raised around lions. He's yeah, like, he's playing into the stereotype. Right, exactly. I I find that part genuinely hilarious. Uh, and then, again, the I ain't no bitch is, like, Mike Scott said that uh, it became popular. Uh, it was game four, I believe, of the Sixers-Net series where he hits that big three-pointer at the end of the game, and then afterward, <laughs> reporters are, like, standing outside the locker room and hear him screaming this in the locker room. So <laughs> it became his catchphrase very quickly. He's been saying it nonstop ever since. Like, he said it in his exit interviews. He said it repeatedly this year as well. It's uh, it's become kind of a mantra of the team, which is amazing. Which, um, yeah, and, and I think that one, like, I ain't no bitch, is just in good fun. And, right. I mean, look, some people take it the wrong way. I think, and I think we need to to separate like what it means and 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 the implication of it because he's just basically saying, you know, we are not going to take anything. Right. 
we're yeah. we're not gonna back down. Right. And keep in mind, Mike Scott is the most uncensored athlete I've ever seen. Like he yeah. just does not give a damn. It's like the the contrast between him and Al Horford is so stark because Al Horford after the fight is you know is like the elder statesman and he's like mm-hmm. you know it's a real shame these two got into a fight they're both really great guys it's just a bad look for the league we can't have it let me and just Mike quote Scott, Plato yeah <laughs> yeah right right meanwhile Mike Scott's like let's get the bad stuff out of the way we can't condone it but I loved it I effing loved it. You know, this is great. This is Philly. This is exactly what we want in Philly. It's great to see that from Joe. I love Joe. One O Joe, he said. <laughs> Mike Scott is a character, man. He, he is quickly ascending the ranks of my favorite Philadelphia yeah. athletes of all. Like, there has never been a more Philadelphia athlete than Mike Scott. And, and that, he, that's probably true. I mean, he even said, and you know... Yeah, I mean, this is going to be one of those episodes where we're we're probably not going to be making money off of that episode. This one, but, <laughs> like I remember him yesterday as well. He's being interviewed. He was like, "Shit, win Philly, <laughs> right? Right? Exactly. Like, that's this right here. It's it's what we live for, <laughs> right? Exactly. Yeah. So you have to take all of that with a grain of salt. I I think you know some people did take uh, umbrage with. Joe's language, especially calling Towns a pussy. And I think that's fair. Like, that's not a good look from Joe. It's just, you know, it's like the typical meathead, like, oh, you're soft. You're, you know, using derogatory female terms to say you're weak is just like, it's not where we, you know, that's 20 years ago. It's not where we are now. So, well, some might even ask, then what's the difference between that and saying I ain't no bitch? Yeah, and that's fair. I just think that one is like such a Mike Scott moniker that you have to separate the two. Yeah, and that's what I tried to argue as well. But I, I understand why people would take offense to both of those terms. Oh, for and, sure. And I get and, and look, I know that people are, you know, listening to us right now going, Oh, they're gonna go on their social justice warrior path once again. But I mean, look, if we don't evolve on some level and at some point, like <laughs> then what, right? Right. Um, I mean, like there is a very often used gay slur that was also used all very frequently, not all that long ago. And because a lot of people pointed out that, hey, this is actually really offensive, it's getting cut down, which yeah. is great. That's evolution. That's how it should be. I mean, that's how Joakim Noah learned. I mean, Joakim right. Noah is one of the most understanding people in the history of basketball. Like, he's all about inclusion and he used that word that you mm-hmm. referenced yep and was torn to shreds for it and was like afterwards oh oh my i mean i didn't even realize that 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 word had such profound effect like negatively and that's that's not me that's not who i am and then he like took it as a lesson and yeah cut everything of that out it's it's about I, I think it's you have to be able to also separate like intent and, and and poor habits and I think for people who then make the mistake of uttering such a word it's like oh okay if they realize that that's not proper and if they realize that they're heading down like the wrong path of that and they go yep yeah, that's that's me I need to fix my habits then mm-hmm. kudos to that but uh man it's 
it's so tough these days because like I you know you you and I when we started podcasting four years four years ago Brian four years mm. ago by the way hey what the hell <laughs> I mean I I actually used a word that was that was a different word for for stupid yeah a different word of that and mm-hmm. I, at that point I hadn't even realized that that had become a a a not welcome word in the society and right. after we'd done recording you were like so Mark you actually said this word. Uh, I think we're going to edit it out. And I was like, wait, what? what? And you actually just basically went through, oh, yeah, now it's like not socially acceptable to say that. And of course, you knew that I didn't mean any ill intent. Oh, of course. Yeah. And I remember after you telling me that, I started actually studying up on it. And now it's completely gone from my vocabulary, mm-hmm. which I'm very, very like happy about because then you take that away in, and not harm anyone. Right. Yeah. Hi, it's Jamie, progressive number one, number two employee. Leave a message at the... Hey, Jamie. It's me, Jamie. This is your daily pep talk. I know it's been rough going ever since people found out about your acapella group, Mad Harmony, but you will bounce back. I mean, you're the guy always helping people find coverage options with the Name Your Price tool. It should be you giving me the pep talk. Now get out there, hit that high note, and take Mad Harmony all the way to nationals this year! Sorry, it's pitchy. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. I promise that you'll never find another like me. With the Capital One Saver card, you earn 4% cash back on dining and entertainment. That's 4% cash back on milkshakes with extra whipped cream. And 4% to get extra loud at the show. The Capital One Saver card. Earn 4% on dining and 4% on entertainment. What's in your wallet? Hey guys, it's Taylor. You can buy my new album, Lover, at taylorswift.com. Terms apply. Capital One Bank, USANA. So I'm going to hope this is a learning moment for Joe. And, you know, I I saw Grant Hughes of Bleacher Report, whose work I love. Uh, he's, you know, like one of the best uh, writers that we have at BR, I think. Um, you know, he, he is doing this like weekly NBA roundup this year um, and wrote about like, you know, should this be concerning for Sixers fans that, you know, Embiid's coming into the season saying, like, we have championship aspirations, I want to be MVP, DPOY, like, getting into this kind of a fight four games into the season, getting a two-game suspension runs counter to that. And so, like, to some extent, yeah, this is not a great look for Joe, but there is, a like, a primal Philly part of me and I've seen some people a write part. about this. <laughs> it comes out at times, mostly during sporting events. Yes, um, I, I have. Your wife did <laughs> forward a video of you celebrating uh, the Eagles winning the Super Bowl. Yes. Yeah, yeah. Well, that was a special exception. But <laughs> <laughs> but uh, I I know like Tom Moore, a uh, local beat writer in Philly. I think Michael Lee as well wrote about this, and and it. It did endear the whole the fight itself, and then Embiid's reaction to it did endear him to the Philly crowd. Like, there's a reason that Philly and Mike Scott have gotten along so well, even though Mike Scott also got into a fracas not so long ago at an Eagles Redskins game where yeah. he got in a fight and started beating up Eagles fans who very much deserved it because they called him a racial slur. Um, and that it, one has never been tolerable, kids. By the way, right? No, no, yeah. no, no. Yeah, like those those people got what they had coming, yeah. and like everyone in Philly was like, "Yeah, hell yeah, beat him up, Mike Scott." 
So if I'm looking at, you know, I've watched the fight at least a thousand times now because <laughs> like Alex and I were watching it on League Pass eating dinner and then she sees it all of a sudden is like she could, she might have gotten more outraged in the moment than I did because nice. I was basically just like, why did this happen? Like <laughs> they're really, you know, like bigs get tangled up a lot from like every angle I've seen. It was literally just. Embiid and Talons got their arms hooked together, mm -hmm. and then they like tried to shake free and couldn't. And I don't know what snapped in Talons, but for whatever reason, that caused him to just throw a right out. You know, I'm, and it might have just been years of frustration building up because Embiid has been trolling Talons for a while now. You know, like yes. a couple years ago, there was the. <laughs> Uh, he posted a picture, and he's like, great win, raise the cat, which was like the Sixers thing at the time. It was not a reference to Carl Anthony Towns. And Towns posted back, like, you know, did you take this picture? Like, this picture quality sucks. Did you take it on your flip phone? And Embiid said, it's better quality than your defense. And yeah. Oh, yeah, that's when you, Joe posted the picture where he's saying he's, he's uh, what was it, uh, Euro-stepping through the defense or something? Yeah, 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 yeah. Okay. And and Zach Lowe has since referenced, apparently when he said that, like, Wolves staffers have told him that Carl Anthony Towns started working a lot more on defense after that. So that one cut deep to Towns. And then, you know, the whole Jimmy Butler thing adds an yeah. even more <laughs> explosive element to this mix because Butler and Towns clearly did not get along very well during Butler's time in Minnesota. Butler and Embiid did get along very well during Butler's time in Philly. I mean, And they're Embiid still can, butts. Right, yeah. Embiid like, has repeatedly referenced how much he misses Jimmy this year. And even in this Instagram post or this comment, he referenced <laughs> like... Oh, he even tacked his ass. Right. I mean, and, and to Jimmy's credit, he was like, oh, man, I knew. I saw the second these two got in a fight, I was going to get dragged into it. I knew it was going to be Joe who <laughs> wait, did, did it. Wait, did Jimmy comment on it? Where? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, who I think Tim Reynolds of, I want to say it was Tim Reynolds had it. I didn't know that. Oh, I was actually yeah. looking around. I thought, okay, I thought he stayed quiet. Like, no, I'm gonna, no. I'm staying out of this. But, of yeah, course, it's no. Jimmy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was uh, I'll, I'll try to find it, but yes, he was. <laughs> oh yeah, here we go. It was, oh, it was Tim Reynolds uh, tweeted it, but I guess he said it to Kristen Ludlow. I knew somehow, some way, I was gonna get dragged into the Clash of Titans. As soon as I saw it, I was like, "Here we go." My name's getting thrown into it, and Joe is my guy. I knew he would be the one to throw me into it. <laughs> so yeah, so. <laughs> So, so bringing that up is definitely, you know, it, it <laughs> so just, Jimmy, it, man. yeah, it, it just adds more fuel to this, this fire. So yeah, I, like, I think this is a legitimate NBA beef. Like I, I think, you know, Embiid has trolled Hassan Whiteside before he's trolled Andre Drummond before he and Russell Westbrook genuinely seem to detest each other. And I don't really understand that one. Cause like, at least I can understand why. A big versus a big, you see him as a threat to your place in the league, whatever. Russ, I guess, is just like equally cantankerous, and Embiid takes exception to it. Well, Embiid uh, just knows ballers. That's hey, look, yeah. Embiid and I agree. I, I guess so, but I mean, these two teams play again March twenty fourth in Minnesota. I'm going to guess Embiid will not be receiving a very welcome 
friendly Midwest reaction. Like, oh yeah, from the four thousand fans that show up. <laughs> well, I'll say this much: when it, you know, two years ago, the Super Bowl was in Minnesota. The Eagles knocked the Vikings out in the NFC Championship game, and Eagles fans are horrible to Vikings fans because, of course, they were. But then, when the Eagles went to Minnesota to play in the Super Bowl, Minnesota fans were very friendly, by and large, from what I've seen and heard. So. Well, they can move past are, have Scandinavian Scandinavian roots. Right, exactly. So they're just so. always they're genuinely happy people. But I do not think it is going to be a very friendly reception when Embiid comes on March twenty fourth. And you know, I knew this suspension was coming. I'm just sad because the Sixers are now heading on to a four game road trip. First game, Portland, Saturday night against Hassan Whiteside. So even if the NBA was not going to suspend Embiid, like even if they were like, no, he didn't throw a punch. He didn't deserve it. And it ha- has he not escalated this on social media? No. I think they still would have suspended him for a game because they know there is no way he's like he was this hot on Wednesday and we're going to put him against Hassan Whiteside on Saturday. No, absolutely not. So what you're telling me is we need to uh, basically put on like a notifications alert for Joel's Instagram and Twitter account for Saturday. For sure. Yeah, if Al Horford punks Hassan Whiteside, that beat's going to be... But can we talk about something here? Because this is is kind of what I've been alluding to with Towns. Like, when you told me here that apparently Joe got under his skin and that made him work harder, that was the same thing with Jimmy. Like, he despised Jimmy, but Jimmy, like, you know, just fired something up under him. Yeah. This is what I'm concerned about, that he has to get this constant like motivational factor going for himself Mm -hmm. like because we've heard ad nauseum that he came in with this predetermination of hey i'm the number one pick i'm automatically going to be great uh it's just going to be that easy right and then jimmy kind of challenged that and he was like what the hell no i'm the golden boy and now joe is getting under his skin like if this is what it takes that's that's a concern to me. I mean, yeah. don't get me wrong. He's played great. Like Towns has right. been like a top five player this season so far. Yeah. But, I mean, again, that that mentality, it worries me. Like, is he? Maybe I'm not going to use the whole soft. All that. like, I I want to use a, a different word. I want to use hungry. Yeah. Yeah. Is he hungry for it? Right. And I mean, that's been the concern about it. Like Andre Drummond entered with those same questions. Hassan Whiteside even has had those same questions surrounding him. Like it's, right. it tends to be a question surrounding big men in particular, because those guys, you know, a lot of them, because they're so big, get pushed into basketball, whether they want to play it or not. Like some, some of them don't, aren't like super passionate about the game. They just see it as a paycheck, which is fine. If you're physically gifted, I get it. But right. Or they dominated in in high school to right. such extremes that when they came to college it was just like yeah yeah let's get this year over with i'm going to hit the league i'm going to be great because i averaged 33 and 17 in high school yeah 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 it's uh it's going to be really fascinating to see the fallout from this but on the bright side the sixers have al horford to step into Embiid's shoes and yeah, they have this Kyle is, this is where horford comes in handy yeah, he's going to earn every dollar of his $109 million contract in his first five games as a Sixer, setting a new NBA record. What do you think Jimmy told Embiid? Dude, it must have been bad. <laughs> I mean, 
Because Embiid also referenced in, when they played in January, uh, they pounded the Wolves. It was like, I think, a 42-point game. Uh, <laughs> he referenced the whole third stringer thing in his Instagram yeah. post after the game. Uh, yeah, it must have been. I mean, I realize that we're major gossips right now when we're talking no, about this, but I no. mean, I, I kind of like this sort of drama. You know, you know why? I, I, I guess for me, it's not because I necessarily loathe the whole, you know, buddy buddy. It's not that I'm not a fan of it. I've, I've always said as much, but you know, there wasn't really any animosity over the past. I feel like five years, mm-hmm. like real animosity. It yeah. was all about you know this fake toughness, like oh I'm gonna I'm gonna dunk on you, and then in the middle of the game, haha, let's have lunch. Like, right. I, we, I don't know. It's just it's it, it didn't bother me as much as it did a lot of people. I mean, I know a lot of people have spent a lot of energy basically saying, oh the leak has gone soft, the leak has gone this and this and that. I mean, I'm not that far out, but I I will acknowledge that having a little bit of an edge to it is nice. Uh, it seems that the tables are flipping a little bit. Like, for example, I I, I wrote an article about Wendell Carter Jr. from Forbes, and uh, this didn't show up in my article, but he actually told his teammates last year, as a 19-year-old rookie, no less, when he saw them like dabbing up opponents during a game, like, no, no, don't. Like, you can yeah. you can dab up your friends afterwards, but during right. the game, don't. Like, that's I don't want to see that. And you have. Um, uh, Yad is basically saying, "I don't want to be anybody's friend. We can be yeah. friends after my career is over. Like yeah. that's that's not what I'm here for." And and Jokic as well. Like you can just sense at times he's he's just above all that. Like what dapping up opponents? Like no, I'm I'm here to beat you. Well, he's just trying to breathe in that Denver air, which is <laughs> <laughs> that is true. But at the same time, it it does feel like that we're we're looking at this new generation who are coming in with a different mindset going, okay, having friends is good and, and fine and all that, but I'm here to win. Yeah. I'm, I'm not here to make friends. I think yeah. the LeBron generation, because let's be honest, that's what it was. Mm-hmm. I think that one is slowly dying out now. And that may not be a bad thing. I just think this is like the WWEification of the league. And there's a strange crossover between wrestling Twitter and basketball Twitter. Uh, I I <laughs> I don't yeah. I don't follow wrestling anymore. I used to when I was younger, and it, I mean I haven't missed much because a lot of the same guys are there twenty years later. But like you 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 do know it's fake, right? Yeah, I know. But it's super entertaining. Like these feuds are entertaining. That's why wrestling is still popular all of these years later because it's just you know like. It's basically a soap opera just with roided out dudes instead of like, oh, you cheated on me with three different women. It's, or sometimes that happens wrestling too. Um, so yeah, I mean, I, I cannot think of a, a person better equipped to play the heel role than Joel Embiid or a city more willing and able to play that role than Philly. Yeah, And I, it would not surprise me. We'll talk about the Warriors in a second, but... Given their downfall, we need to have a new villain in the league. And I think the Sixers are rapidly going to become that team. That's fun, though. I mean, yeah, I, I love I never, it. I could never envision, though, like a villain team having Al Horford on its roster. <laughs> He's just going to be like silently in the back. Him and Tobias Harris are just going to be like hiding in the back. Like, we don't, 
we don't want to have anything to do with this. Yeah. Like you're putting a mic up in front of Al. So who do you have beef with? <laughs> like, right. no, like, no, no, no. I love everyone, man. Yeah, yeah. Mike Scott's <laughs> going to come barging in. It's going to be great. That's a sitcom right there, though. I know. Yep. How do we control money? Highlighters. Every Sunday, we go over all our statements, and we highlight the hotspots. And that's how we came up with intelligent text alerts that help watch over your money. Our customers give us the best ideas. Huntington, welcome. Message and data rates may apply. Introducing the Capital One Walmart Rewards Card. Earn unlimited 5% back on everything you buy at Walmart online. It's the perfect card for all your family's hints this holiday season. Like 5% back on the air fryer Grandpa told you about when he fell asleep in his chair. He didn't fry anything. Or 5% back on the laptop your sister had carolers sing to you. Two and a laptop for Carrie. The Capital One Walmart Rewards Card. Earn unlimited rewards, including 5% back at Walmart online. What's in your wallet? Terms and exclusions apply. Capital One NA. All right, so let's talk about the Warriors now. Because they, hours after this Embiid town's fracas happened, and as the social media drama was unfolding, Steph Curry goes up for a layup. Aaron Baines tries to draw a charge. The two collide, fall awkwardly, and Baines appears to land on Curry's left hand. Really, Curry landed pretty hard on both wrists, but then... Baines also landed on his hand, ends up with a broken second metacarpal in his left hand. Uh, the yep. Warriors got a CT scan Thursday. Our consulting specialists, either yesterday or today, there is still no timetable for Steph's return, but he's going to be out for at least a couple weeks. Um, oh, yeah, at least. They, they're trying to just see if he needs surgery or not. So Jeff Stotts of in-street clothes, uh, he uh, injury expert um, has a database with seven recent cases of a broken second metacarpal. On average, players have missed 16 games with this injury. There were three who do not need surgery. They only missed eight games. So conservatively, we're going to say he'll be back well before the All-Star break. But right. is he back in like two or three weeks or closer to January 1st? We don't know. Or mid mid December, right? It, it could be, yeah. uh, you know, until we get a timetable, we don't know. But no, I mean, fact is, they're screwed. Yeah, I mean, you know, we talked about them the other day a little bit uh, as as an early season disappointment because they got off to that one and two start, lost significantly to the Clippers and the Thunder, and the Clippers' loss is excusable. The Clippers are very good. Thunder. A little less so because, you know, the Thunder is supposed to be on the fringe of the Western Conference playoff race. Mm. And even before Curry went down uh, on Wednesday, the Suns outscored them. The Phoenix Suns outscored them 43-14 to in the first quarter. They're better. I acknowledge it. Yeah, right. The Suns are definitely better. Yeah, but like, I acknowledge it. Not 29 points in one quarter better. No. So... It, it, the Warriors are, were in trouble either way. I mean, this is only going to exacerbate. Like, I, I think regardless of how long Curry is out, we can agree that their playoff hopes are on life support, right? <laughs> That's putting it kindly. Yeah. Yeah. Um, basically, what I'm, I'm what I'm saying here is there are going to be a lot of comparisons to the 1997 Spurs. Yes, I have noticed that. Yeah. I want to push back on that a little bit, though. 
Oh because my. this is going to be interesting. I don't know what you're about to propose, but if you are proposing that the Warriors team, as currently constructed, is going to get just some somewhere around a league average offense without Curry, you're insane. Oh, no, 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 no. But the, the 96-97 Spurs, that was the year David Robinson suffers the injury six games into the season. He's out Correct. for the rest of the year. Yep. They go 20-62, and 62, win the number one pick, get Tim Duncan, you know, yeah, I think two. Sean Elliott missed a bunch of time as well. Yeah, okay. So Clay is going to miss the whole year. Steph is going to miss, let's say, six to eight weeks. Okay. But he's not out for the full season. Right. So that's the first difference. The Warriors have also been missing Kavan Looney since opening night. He mm-hmm. has this neuropathic condition that is somehow correlated to the right hamstring tightness that he's been feeling. They were out uh, without... Willie Cauley-Stein, who made his debut Wednesday against the Suns, finished with 12 points and five rebounds and a block in 12 minutes. So they're going to get at least, I mean, their their center depth chart in particular has just been awful to start the year because they, you know, no Looney for all but one game, no Willie Cauley-Stein for the first three games. Like against the Pelicans we mentioned the other day, uh, Steve Kerr broke out the Draymond Green at the five Kind of because he had to. He didn't really have any better options. So when they get back, I mean, Cauley Stein, I think he's on a minutes limit right now, but in theory he will ramp up quickly and hopefully he'll stay healthy. When Looney comes back, Alec mm-hmm. Burks has only played one game. Yeah, Help is around the corner for them. So mm-hmm. I don't know that the 96-97 Spurs who are without their top player for the entire season. I'm not saying the Warriors are going to be good or even make the playoffs, but I, you know, I've seen a number of articles comparing them to that team or saying like, oh, it's time to tank. Let's just, you know, rest Draymond, rest Curry. Like, don't just... Oh, I'm not The season's tank. over. Yeah. I'm, I'm and, not and, saying... And you're suggesting that help is around the corner, which is fine, but that's not great help. <laughs> I mean, that's fair, but I, I think it's going to at least take them from, like, so, I mean, they have the worst defense in the league right now, 118.1 points per 100 possessions. I think that will help. I think, you know, opponents are shooting 42.9% from the field against them right now, or sorry, from three-point range right now, which is the second worst or second best mark of the league, depending on how you look at it. And so you can ask yourself, this is like a chicken or an egg thing, where are opponents shooting that high? because the Warriors' defense is so bad? Or is the Warriors' defense so that bad because opponents are shooting much higher than average? Like, if that regresses to 36 37 38%, mm. does the Warriors' defense look significantly better than it has right now? I mean, it probably will, and it's not going to make a damn difference. They're not going <laughs> to win. It's possible. Look, what you're proposing here is basically trying to set out a... You know, a skyscraper on fire with a super soaker. <laughs> I mean, I don't, yeah, I don't think they're going to be good this season, but I don't think they're going to be the worst team in the league. And the new lottery odds really do help disincentivize you to tank. Right. So I don't necessarily... I like, think the general idea of the San Antonio comparison is just that they're going to end up with a significantly high pick and then next year right. everyone is going to come back healthy. Yeah. <laughs> and maybe they even streamline the roster by trading D'Angelo for a wing. Right, right. And, and, then, and, and that's, then suddenly they're just going to look 
like world beaters again. Yeah, that's the one thing I think this could change because the Warriors have since you know they signed and traded for D'Angelo this summer, and Bob Myers has repeatedly said like we did not sign him or we did not acquire him just to trade him. Right. Like we wanted to see how this thing looks, and you know now that Curry's out, like D'Angelo is their only consistent source of offense. So it's mm. a godsend that they have him. But now that the playoffs are looking increasingly out of reach, do they soften that stance? Do they start shopping him around come December 15th, which is when he and everyone else who signed in free agency this summer become eligible to be traded? The The tricky thing is, because they acquired him in a sign-and-trade, they are subject to the hard cap, which they are only about $400,000 under right now. So if they traded him, they can't take back significantly more salary than they're sending out now he's earning a little over 27 million dollars so you know they can find deals that work minnesota has been a a long linked russell destination because they were interested in getting him this summer Mm -hmm. it's tricky to find a deal with minnesota that works you could do russell for wiggins straight up but does golden state really want to push all of its Russell chips in with Andrew Wiggins. No, no, I, I you said it. I didn't. I mean, yeah, no, I know. I, uh, it's like I, if he has do... a good year, then maybe. Like, no, but no. I mean, they still need a wing. I here's right. the thing though. I I mean I don't even dare ask this question. Almost would Andrew Wiggins, you know, in Golden State under proper leadership, proper coaching and a streamlined organization that really knows what they're doing, could he be unlocked? I think it's possible, but I think especially the early part of this season has shown that they don't necessarily need to consolidate top-end talent. I think they just need more rotation players. So if you're training Russell, I think your goal, if you're Golden State, is not to get another potential superstar because you still have Steph and Clay will come back next year and Dre's still great. I think you just need more depth. So, you know, a a deal around Robert Covington and someone else makes sense. Like you could do Robert Covington and Jeff Teague, but the salary matching becomes tricky there because they're those two guys combined are earning a little more than thirty million dollars. So Golden State would have to include at least one or two other players to successfully duck the hard cap. Oh, or. Or they swing a three-team deal. They they need a wing. We agree on that, right? Yeah, for sure. How about bringing back Harry B? <laughs> oh my God, that would just be. <laughs> no, no, I, I get it. Like from where we're sitting and on that on that on that contract, no less. Yeah. But but like he knows the system. There he would does. Be no adjustment period. Like he would know what to expect from Curry, from Dre, from Kerr. I don't know. I'm not. Oh, I'm not man. saying it's smart. But I'm saying it could be interesting. It would be really funny to hear Warriors fans who have trashed Harry B for four or five years now have to (laughs) go and defend him. (laughs) That would be great. Uh, No, I mean, I I think a deal like with Covington, you could do like Covington and Gorgie Jang, which given the Warriors bad center depth, especially if, you know, who knows what's up with Looney, like. I hope he's yeah. back soon because he's a good player and he's on a great deal. But, you know, who's to say he's not going to be out the whole season? And if that's the case, right. maybe they do need to add 
more depth to their front court. And I believe Jang and Roko, it's at least close enough that you could pretty easily finagle that deal. You could just include any rotation player and make it work. So um, how about the Knicks, though? Isn't that isn't ooh, this why ooh. they did what they did? Yeah, but if you if you're Golden State, I guess they're most of them are team options on that second year. Yeah, but but like you could take a bunch of the lesser like quality contract or lesser volume contracts. Yeah, Josh Gibson, Alfred Payton, Wayne Ellington, those kinds, and then take a flyer on like Dennis Smith or Frank Nikila. Oh my, it's Frankie smokes. Yeah, it's <laughs> Yeah. Yeah, I, if you're the Warriors, though, I think you want guys under multi-year deals because if they leave in free agency, you're not going to be able to replace them. Yeah, that's true. Curry is earning a ton, and yeah, and both, Clay, yeah, so so is Clay and Trey. Yeah, yeah. Yep. So yeah, it's tricky. Like I, I think that is the thing to look for. You know, I've seen uh, some speculation of like, will they really consider to blow it up and truly shop Dre around? I don't think that's going to happen. I, like, no, I no, think, no, no, no. Dre and Clay and Steph are lifers. Right. So I, I think a Russell trade probably became a little more likely because mm. of the Curry injury, just because this crystallizes like, okay, this is a rebuilding year for us. We, our depth is bad. Let's use this one chip. You know, it, it didn't, like on surface, it does not make sense for them to be paying max contracts to three guards. Clay, Steph, D'Angelo, when all three are healthy, no, that's not sustainable. So Bob Myers can push back against the notion that they signed him just to trade him. But if they didn't, then that move looks a lot worse. Like, I, I know you're just trying to keep his trade value high by saying, well, yeah, we actually want to keep him. We like him. But like teams will still be interested in him, especially because he's going to have the opportunity to put up huge numbers now. Hmm. So this should only help his trade value. I mean, I, I think he will be one of the more intriguing names to track come mid-December as we head into the February trade deadline because I I do think this increases the likelihood that he's moved this year. I mean, I, I thought there was no chance he plays out his entire four-year deal in Golden State, but maybe they wait until next summer. Who knows? I think it becomes more likely now. Yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm just so busy thinking about something entirely else here, Brian, because I'm just realizing that next year or just next summer, mm-hmm. we're going to listen to Voldemort argue why LaMelo is better than Steph. I know. I'm really, I'm really excited because, I mean, they. I looked at this yesterday. When do you think they're, the last time they've had a lottery pick is? Uh, Harry Barnes, probably. Correct. Yeah. yeah. Eight years ago. Yeah. So, I mean, again, that's a byproduct of, you know, they had to trade some picks to get Iguodala uh, in particular. And then, you know, Looney was 30th. Damian Jones was 30th. Jacob Evans is 28th. Like, if you have the best team in the NBA, that means you're going to be picking at the end of the first round. Yeah. That's, you know, if you're the Warriors, you don't trade the last five years for anything. Like, you take these lumps willingly because you just had one of the best five-year runs in NBA history. Like, that's no one's ever going to take that away from you. But this is part of the life cycle of the NBA. Nothing can last forever unless you're the Spurs, who are have, White Walkers. By the way, have the, have the Warriors failed in developing that talent? Like, in terms of getting those late 
I mean, they they not saying that they can't develop talent. I mean, look, they got Draymond in the second round. Look what he is right now. Right. You know, Clay was drafted at eleventh. I think Curry was seventh. Yeah. Um, so obviously they know how to develop. But but in recent years, their late round acquisitions. I mean, they haven't really gotten a lot out of those guys. Like yeah, if they I mean, had if one of those guys had turned into like a above average like starting caliber player, mm-hmm. that would have made so much. I mean, would have done so much for their window. Just extending that. Oh, for sure. Like a basketball Siakam. For example, yeah, yeah. And yeah. I, last year or last year, last season, rather before the draft, I was all in on them taking Carson Edwards. Remember? Yeah. Like that. That didn't. You know, that just didn't come about. But I mean, like guys like that. I mean, there are so many times when we've looked at a draft and gone, "Oh, okay, the Warriors are needing. They need depth. They need a mm-hmm. guy that they can develop, uh, and, and who can become like a a sixth man or a seventh man, like a rotation player." And it seems like over the past, I want to say almost half decade, they've just picked guys who are like ho hum, decent spot guys, and that's it. I mean, I think that's partially a byproduct of a win now window Could you know be. yeah because these like because you have steph clay kd dre iguodala livingston you just you had demarcus cousins for a year you don't have as much time to get rookies on the floor like your window right. to win a title is right now and you know steve kerr we made we mentioned in this last episode too he Caught a lot of crap for the Kumbaya Kerr moniker because he did. I think he did the best he could in terms of playing more guys that, you know, he didn't have an eight man rotation throughout the regular season. Like he, he did try to find a diamond in the rough here. It's just hard to find that when you're picking that late. So, you know, we saw this, this, this is why big three and big four models tend to have a somewhat short lifespan. We saw this with the Miami, uh, the the big three in Miami. Like, you know, come 2014, LeBron is looking at that Miami Heat core, and he's like, oh, crap. We don't have any young guys. Dwayne Wade and Chris Bosh aren't getting any younger. Cleveland is much more intriguing because they have Kyrie, and they have some pieces I can trade for Kevin Love. And then he goes to Cleveland, and four years later, he's in the same boat in Cleveland. And he looks at the Lakers, and he's like, oh, well, the Lakers have... Lonzo Ball and Brandon Ingram and Josh Hart and Kyle Kuzma. And if any of these guys hit, that's great. And if not, I can flip them all for Anthony Davis. I completely get that. But at the same time, it's still possible for other teams, even teams that are you know, competitive, to find players late in the draft and somehow manage, even if it takes a year or two, get them in the rotation. Yeah. Um, and with the G League system now firmly in place, I feel that the excuse of not having enough minutes. Well, I totally get where you're coming from, though. Right. I, right, right. I feel that excuse is, you know, less valid now than it was ten years ago. Yeah. Because I agree you with can't that. get at, get guys out there. You have a system like where you can get the minutes that is completely tailored to your uh, primary NBA team's offense and defense. So, like, it's a perfect simulation of what it's going to be. I just think they haven't hit on guys, to be honest yeah. with you, because if if a player is good enough. Regardless of where you are, if you're, you know, in if you're competitive, if you're a championship contender, whatever. Like, if a guy is good enough to get on the floor, he will. Right. No, I I totally agree with that. I mean, I'd say Looney they hit on. They yeah, that's fair. Looney Looney is weird though. I mean, 
because he's he's kind of a pseudo starter. I want to say. Yeah. Right. He's yeah. He, he's a good cheap villain for what they need. I mean, I, I agree. They definitely like they have not found that starter caliber player like Damian Jones, thirtieth in twenty sixteen. But I'm trying to look. I guess like Malcolm Brogdon went thirty six. I mean, look, Josh Richardson year. and Montres Harrell were available after they chose Looney. Mm. Jetty Osman even. I mean, yeah. uh, there, there are tw- a lot of guys around. Zubach was available after Damian Jones, but like there aren't <laughs> Patrick McCaw. Yeah. Aside aside from that, I mean Jake Lehman's like the only one who's really done anything of note in that in that second round. And then, you know, last year is twenty eighteen, they got Jacob Evans. I think it's just too early to tell. Oh yeah, yeah. no, that's him. fair. Like we shouldn't pass judgment on twenty eighteen and onwards. Yeah, right. Sure. So yeah. they just haven't had that many picks. Like, they didn't have any picks in 2013, 2014, didn't have second rounders in 2015, 2016, didn't have any picks in 2017, no seconds in 2018. Again, I just think it's, you know, that that it tends to be what leads to the downfall of these big threes and big fours, and it's why I've been saying for a while now that I, I do kind of wonder if the big two is a more sustainable long-term model for that reason. Well, I mean, yes. But but you and I, we've basically been banging this drum for a couple of years now. Mm-hmm. I mean, because you, you look at all this stuff when, when a star on, his, uh, on you know, a, a super team goes down. Yeah. There's really no depth to kind of alleviate that at all. Now, you when it's with a two-star team, like, again, I'm going to use this perfect example of the Clippers. I know that they're sort of a, in a atypical situation because no one's that deep. Mm-hmm. But just they have so much. Like, they, they're they're balling right now without Paul George. Like, you know, Paul George is almost an afterthought these days. When yeah. he comes back, like, and he and Kawhi hits the floor together and that rotation is still in place, it's they're going to be literally unstoppable. <laughs> right, right, for sure. But it also varies on degree of star, though, right? I mean, that, that's something wh- that should probably be mentioned. Yeah. Like, I think it's different. If you have three stars and all of them, like LeBron, Dwayne Wade, and Chris Boss, like upper tier, mm-hmm. then, yeah, you, you probably go that route. But if the three stars are, like, all B players, yeah, eh, then that's probably cashing your tr- chips in in a, in a bad way. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. All right, Mort, let's wrap up with Kendrick Nunn, who is making headlines for his incredible start to the season. Uh, this is coming from SportsCenter's Twitter account. He is the first player with 100 points in his first five career games since Kevin Durant in 27, or yeah, 2007-2008. KD had 113. Kendrick Nunn has 112 first five games. He's averaging 22.4 points. In 31.6 minutes. And what, um, you're about, what you're about to tell the people right now is something that I didn't know. Yeah. So, because I, I want to give credit to friend of the podcast, Nikias Duncan, who is a devoted Heat guy. Uh, he's been following none, this Nun story for a while now, even dating back to the summer. Um, and he's the reason I know about what I'm about to say. Uh, but I noticed... No, Sports Center tweeted that last night. Didn't say, you know, they're they're, they're just stating facts. This is 
It, it wasn't like necessarily praising none or praising the heat organization, whatever. It's just like, this guy has scored a ton of points. This is the most since KD. Great. And I don't mean to say this to dunk on anyone in particular, because I think a lot of people are in this boat. Like, I think a lot of people don't know about none. And I think this is going to be a very instructive learning experience for everyone here. Um, but Michael Lee of The Athletic, I noticed tweeting last night, quote, in this area of overscouting, there aren't many unknowns, so finding diamonds in the rough seems impossible. That's why it's refreshing when undrafted surprises like Kendrick Nunn emerge. Slipped through the cracks in 2008, scooped from the G League, now gating major buckets for Miami. To Twitter's credit, a lot of people replied to him very quickly and were like, Google Kendrick Nunn's name. Because if you do, you'll find that in 2016, he pleaded guilty to a misdemeanor battery charge in Illinois stemming from a domestic battery assault or arrest in March. He was, he, so he was playing at the University of Illinois, uh, left the program, wound up at Oakland, which is then when he went on draft and went to the G League. He was charged in March of 2016 with two counts of domestic battery after being accused of hitting a woman, pushing her to the floor, and then pouring hot water on her during an argument. So I think it's complicated when we're talking about Kendrick Nunn because Mm -hmm. I would be a hypocrite to say I've never rooted for a guy, an athlete, with a checkered past. Like, I am a Philadelphia fan. The Philadelphia Eagles once employed Michael Vick, who would, ran a dogfighting ring at his house. You know, I, I'm i not going to, like, cape here and say I've never cheered for someone who did something terrible before. With that said, I think it's complicated, and I think the one thing that we should avoid doing is praising him, and this is similar to the Derrick Rose situation. We should not praise him for overcoming many obstacles or being a diamond in the rough or praise the heat for finding this guy out of nowhere because there's a reason this kid went undrafted and it's not due to his talent there's a reason he left illinois and went to oakland and it's not because of his talent it's because of the domestic assault yeah and man now he's 24 so yeah yeah so like hopefully you know I really genuinely hope he learned from what he did because that's a horrible thing to do. And I hope he will never do anything like that again. I hope he becomes an advocate for victims of domestic assault. Like that, that would be, I'm not saying he doesn't deserve a second chance because maybe he does. Maybe he learned from it. I hope he did, but we shouldn't be praising him as this story to hold up as an example of, wow, it's great to see this guy overcome so many obstacles or come out of nowhere, because he didn't. He didn't come out of nowhere. He he was well-known, and then that happened. He, he Not even that happened. He did that. Like, he did this to himself. It's not like something terrible happened to him. Like, it is his fault that his career trajectory went off the rails for a while. And this just opens up for a large debate. And that is when athletes or actors or people you follow who are in the public eye 
do something that is obviously illegal in this case, mm-hmm. but also just so so damning and damaging. Yeah. Because, you know, we see Lakers fans not care one bit about, you know, Kobe's Colorado thing. Yep. And look, I, I you know, when I was, that happened in 2003, I want to say? Uh, 2003 or four. Yeah, I don't remember exactly when. Right. I mean, I was 17, 18 years old. I didn't grasp, you know, the ma- the magnitude of that situation right. at that point. I right. just didn't. And I was like, oh, okay, Kobe's dope. Oh, I hope he gets out of this, yada, yada, yada. And I could still appreciate his game. But as I've grown older, and for some reason, especially after I become became a father, and it's not because I'm pulling that, oh, I have daughters, because I don't. I have two sons. <laughs> right. But, you know, those things are starting just to to sit with me for a whole while. I mean, when Darren Collison uh, pleaded guilty to, to domestic abuse as well, mm-hmm. like Darren Collison immediately in my eyes was like, nope, if you're an NBA team, you shouldn't sign him. Like, yeah. don't do not do it. Um, when Derrick Rose got accused of the gang rape and mm-hmm. afterwards said, I, I know that he's he wasn't, um, you know, you know uh, what's it called? You know, he wasn't because it, it wasn't it wasn't a criminal case. It was yeah, it was a, a civil case. Yeah, it was a civil case. Okay, but I know it wasn't proven as, as he wasn't found guilty in that right. sense, um, right? Or responsible, but he still said we men. So yeah. you can assume when asked, what were you doing there? Right. Which showed and didn't understand like the consent, which to me <laughs> are just two major red flags that has forever changed my perspective of Derrick Rose. Like, does that not mean that I can appreciate when he had the 50-point game? Look, I can watch the game. I can understand logically that what he did is impressive. I'm not going to sit here, well, because he did that or at least, like, said those words, you know, we men, you can assume, that means that I am no longer capable of of identifying that he is doing fantastic things on the basketball court. But it has changed my personal opinion of how I view him as a human being. My level of analysis towards him is like i've tried to refrain from Mm -hmm. talking about him too much and the same with kobe and the same with collison and because of this with kendrick nunn now i'm basically gonna put him a little bit to the side i was very high on nunn you heard me talk about him just a couple days ago for some reason i just completely missed nikaias's coverage on this i had not to be fair, Nikias, if you're listening, man, you post a lot. I can't, I can't keep up, man. Um, I mean, you're not the only one, though. Like Michael no. Lee, also, you know, he tweeted that last night, and then a lot of people were saying, "Hey, man, like, look into this." And then he's like, "Oh, thank you. I genuinely didn't know about this. That's right. good to know." And again, I realize that this is a very, you know, social justice warrior episode in in eyes some pe- some people, and you know, some listeners may already have tuned out or. Are rolling their eyes. Yeah, fine, do you? I I don't care. I, that that doesn't matter to me. Um, it's about where we're sitting. We also have a responsibility, and right. I think if we are sitting there praising a guy without knowing all the facts, we are also presenting a somewhat false negative or false premise uh, to the to a public who are listening. Look, I know the stats. We have thousands of listeners. Mm-hmm. Um, and 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 to be fair, again to to like the victim here, we don't know what happened. We don't know if if she is completely heartbroken and has like 
PTSD or whatever. So, you know, the more that we hype up a person who did this to her, that is cruel. That is mm-hmm. that is just insensitive. And I think you need to respect what happened in the sense that you need to understand that this is this is something that he has to carry for the rest of his life. Like I understand what you're saying. Like maybe he deserves a second shot, maybe he's apologized, maybe everything is on the up and up now, maybe all is good. Okay. But there's a person who still has to live with this for the rest of her life. Right. Yeah. I mean, to cite the Rose example in particular, that's what always drove me nuts about the coverage with him as well. It was, you know, last year in particular when he was playing well for Minnesota, announcers rightfully caught crap, especially from Deadspin. Correct. RIP to Deadspin, by the way. Yeah. Um, for praising him for overcoming so many obstacles. Like, yes, he overcame a ton of injuries, and that should be celebrated. Like, because I'm sure he was in a very dark place after, you know, having so many years where he reached the peak of being MVP and then to just have that all stripped away to build back up to where he got. That is great. That is a sign of dedication and should be celebrated. But we should not lump in his off-court transgressions with the obstacles he overcame. And, you know, again, it's the same thing with none. It was like, I don't know what about the tweet from Michael Lee, but there was another one from a well-known basketball writer who quickly deleted his tweet when he realized um, what people were saying. Uh, But it was along the same lines of like, man, it's great that they found this guy. It's like awesome that, you know, to see a guy thrive as an undrafted former G League player Shows that anyone in the right situation with the right organization players can succeed. It's like, well, you know, the kid was, he was like the 58th or 59th ranked prospect in his in his high school class. So, like, not a superstar, but people knew who he was. Mm-hmm. He played well in college. It's just, again, he went undrafted for a reason, a reason that was his own doing. So, like, yes, it's a really incredible that he's started his career with 112 points in five games that's good for him like that's fine but i'm not going to celebrate him as a diamond in the rough or the heat deserve praise for finding this kid out of nowhere because they didn't no they took a they took a gamble on someone who apparently unbeknownst to me had a checkered past they, they took a gamble on people not googling his name and it worked for a couple games. Oh, it's a tough issue. It's a tough conversation, and you, you know it's impossible to do it over podcast because you know we're dedicating like the fa- final ten to fifteen minutes on this, and such a conversation is is never over in such a short period of time. Right? Um, it's it's kind of like the China situation in terms of nuance. There are so yeah. many nuances to this, and I understand like you, you know people are are they want to use sports as a way of you know not dealing with the world necessarily mm-hmm. and then when the world infringes on the sports they they kind of ignore it and go oh that didn't happen no no right. no no no. it's right. it's fine yeah uh look i mean i've seen lakers fans admittedly not great ones um you know post that they didn't even care if kobe was entirely guilty he gave them a championship so mm. it didn't matter and mm-hmm. <laughs> that's just where things go way too far in my eyes and that's where the discussion becomes necessary to have like on what level are 
when is enough enough? Like, at, on what level are you willing to say, oh, okay, sports need to come second? Right. Right. Exactly. And, I mean, it's a, it's a question that we're going to have to continue to grapple with because Kendrick Nunn and Derek Rose and guys like that aren't going away. And they're, unfortunately, they aren't going to be the last guys who commit heinous acts. And right. they're employed by NBA teams or even, you know, NFL, MLB, like, Every sports league has to deal with this issue. Right. So it's, yeah, I mean, you're right. It's it's an issue that isn't going to go away and that we can't cover entirely in 15 minutes. It's just going to be an evolving conversation. But mm. if there's one thing I would ask of everyone listening, it's to remember before you send that, like, wow, Kendrick Nunn is so great tweet. You could talk about his on-court accomplishments. That's great. But, like, keep this in the back of your mind. And just remember, like, don't praise him for overcoming so much or coming out of nowhere because he didn't. That is truly fair. Let's end on a positive note, Brian. Okay. Because while we were talking, um, so remember when I, last episode I was pretty down on the on the Suns. Yeah. Yeah. I have a guy in my mentions right now, and I, you you're gonna love this tweet. Oh boy. Yeah. First of all, Morton is M O R T E N, but that's fine. Uh huh. Yeah. You know how most misspell it. Oh, sure. Yeah. This Morton, this Morton idiot at MSJ NBA, which, like, thank you for adding me, sweetheart. Yeah. It's so good. Yeah. Is as dumb as Nate Duncan. Man, I wish. <laughs> I wish. If, if, my, if I was, like, comparable to Nate Duncan, I, I'll take that. That's sure. like, I, that's a compliment, right? He thinks Suns are trash, doesn't think they're good at all, and all their wins are total luck. He thinks their luck will run out in a couple games. You in for a big surprise, Morton. The Brian guy is okay. But yeah, Morton <laughs> sounds like Duncan. Cuck yes, AF, total asshole. <laughs> I love it. It's so great. Well, he's going to be happy to hear you say today that you are buying in. I'm going to reply to him with the tweet I sent you in terms of, Brian, you're right. I, yeah. I literally said that like four hours after we recorded. That's amazing. Wow. But I love the fact that the Brian guy's okay. That was, yeah. <laughs> that was fantastic. Well, on that note, I'm going to go about my day feeling great now. <laughs> well, I mean, because you're okay, Brian. Yeah. That, yeah. You know, that's really what I'm going for. I, I'm not trying to be great. Okay is fine by me. <laughs> Apparently so. Well, on that note, that is a good place to wrap up. So thank you all for listening today. Hope you enjoyed. Please follow us on Twitter at the NBA Pod. You can find our Twitter handles in our bio, so give us a follow as well. You can also find us on iTunes and wherever else podcasts are found. On iTunes, please subscribe, download, leave some five-star reviews. And we're now being hosted on Spreaker, so check them out on Twitter at Spreaker. Until next time, I'm Brian Toporek, and I was joined, as always, by Morton Jensen. Mort, have a good one. You too, man. Uh, and Brian, you're okay. <laughs> Thank you. Amita Health Neurosciences Institute offers university-level expertise of fellowship-trained spine surgeons, dedicated nurses, and therapists. Our leading-edge, minimally invasive back surgery options lead to faster recovery and less pain. Call us today for a second opinion if you are considering spine surgery. Visit amitahealth.org forward slash spine surgery to learn more or call 855-MY-AMITA to schedule an appointment.
How do we control money? Highlighters. Every Sunday, we go over all our statements, and we highlight the hotspots. And that's how we came up with intelligent text alerts that help watch over your money. Our customers give us the best ideas. Huntington, welcome. Message and data rates may apply.